Jeremiah chapter 11, a really unique book of prophecy in the Old Testament. It just really stands alone as I'm teaching through it. You know, one of the advantages of teaching is you dig in so much more uh, than you ever have before, and just so unique among the books, uh, the prophetic books in the Old Testament, this book, Jeremiah. So before we begin, let's pray. Lord, I just pray that we see your heart this evening, and we don't miss it. We don't miss what your heart is, Lord, and also just the example of this life and what it is and means for us and how we follow and learn from it, Lord. We want to learn from you this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Pastor Keith this morning, actually, uh, he quoted from Jeremiah 10, verse 23, which is where we sort of wound up last week. Why not just begin there this week? Oh, Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. Oh, wow, is that true? If there is anything that is true in the Bible, it's, 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 it's this verse. Of course, there's a lot true. But um, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And just the whole message this morning, man, if you are living your life according to your five senses, you are going to... Uh, it, it's going to be like a, a, a locomotive train, you know, on a crash course. Eventually, eventually, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna crash and burn if you're just walking according to your five senses as opposed to living according to the Word of God and by that still small voice which the Spirit of God speaks and we should ever be saying as it says in verse 24 oh lord correct me but with justice not in your anger lest you bring me to nothing lord correct me so if i'm living and i'm just dilly-dallying along according to my five senses according to my natural reason please correct me but please according to your justice and not in anger who can withstand the anger of the lord just read the book of Revelation. No one actually does. And so we know that the anger of the Lord was put on Jesus on the cross so that we don't have to, uh, you know, suffer uh, the judgment of God's anger. But um, I love the cry of Jeremiah's heart here. So chapter 11 starts uh, a different prophecy. Jeremiah is a series of prophecies the last three or four chapters, the, Jeremiah was, Je, uh, the Lord told Jeremiah, okay, you go to the gate of the temple and you just stand there as people are going in and out, priests, prophets in the multitude, and this is what you say. And so he faithfully said it. This one is in a completely different place. Uh, now, the last few chapters were given uh, the prophecy was given during the reign of Josiah. Josiah was a righteous king. But Josiah was taken uh, away at a very young age. He was either 38 or 44. I can't remember. One of those two, I think. And 
they worked very much hand in hand, the king and the prophet. You're doing well when the king uh, and the prophet are, are both singularly focused on the Lord. Josiah certainly was. Uh, but he uh, went out to war against Egypt, and uh, he died in battle. And that, and that always confused me because it does say, it more or less says, he was the most righteous king that there ever was in Israel. Why? Why at such a, a, a young age? I personally believe it was because the Lord just wanted to take him away because Israel had not repented, and God just wanted to take him right on up to heaven. You know, dying is not the worst thing in the world. You know, we, one of the p- things that Pastor Keith shared with us at the men's retreat was, you know, Hezekiah crying out and, and sobbing and weeping when the Lord told him he was going to die. And God gave him 15 more years, but they, they were not a productive good 15 years. And, and so death is not always this, this terrible thing. He took, I believe, he just took Josiah out of the way. But I got to tell you, when you take a person like Josiah out of the way in a land such as Israel that had not really, that had only superficially, only on the surface had they repented, you know bad times are coming in the country. You just know it. And they did. And so um, the commentators believe that chapter 11 starts after Josiah uh, died. It says the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant. Now, remember in Deuteronomy where the Lord had told Israel before they went into the promised land that uh, there are blessings and there are cursings and they should be read lest anyone forget them. You will be blessed if you... Uh, if you do these things, you will be blessed. If you do these things, you, you will be cursed. And uh, they had some, they got into the promised land in Joshua chapter 7. Uh, some of the, uh, the, the Levites got on top of Mount Gerizim and they pronounced the blessings. And then there was a, value, a valley. And on the other side of the valley, there was Mount Ebal. And there were some Levites up there that pronounced into the valley while all the Israelites are on the valley what the cursings were. And that was a good thing to remind them of, look, this is, uh, this is what's going to happen to you if you do this, and this is going to happen to you if you do that. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, curses the man who does not obey the words of this covenant. You know, in Jeremiah, we'll see later that God is going to promise through Jeremiah a new covenant. What's the difference between the new and old covenant? The old covenant was based on man's faithfulness to the law. The new covenant is based on God's faithfulness to the law. Which would you rather have? Which would you rather be a part of? God's faithfulness to the law or man's faithfulness to the law? And you say, well, why did God ever give the old covenant in the first place if, if man so bound to failure, his faithfulness to the law, you know that's going to fail. It's to drive people to the new covenant. It's to drive them to the Lord. 
we were just talking this morning about um, Keith and I on our way back in from Sharon about how Luke chapter 6, which we're in right now, the, the Sermon on the Mount, or it's actually a different sermon, similar though, you know, love your enemies and how that just drives us to Christ because we come so far short of meeting that standard. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Oh, I'm not like that. That's it. And it drives us to the Lord. And it's the old covenant was given. It, it really made the prophets long for the new covenant. The Bible says in 1 Peter, the prophets long to see what you guys see today. But the, at this time, they are in the old the season of the old covenant and... Jeremiah continues in verse 4, which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them uh, to the land of Egypt from the iron furnace. I just love the word picture there. When they were slaves in Egypt, it was as living in an iron furnace. Egypt, always in the Bible, a type of the world. I don't know about you, but I look back at my time in the world. It was as an iron furnace. Egypt, a type of the world, referred to that. But what did the covenant say? It said this in verse 4, Obey my voice and do according to all that I command you so that you shall be my people and I will be your God. I'm so thankful I'm not under the old covenant. Do all that I command you? All that I command you? you know, Paul says if you obey one part of the if you're insisting on putting yourself under the law again, if you even put yourself under one law, one law, you got to worship on this day of the week. Okay, you're going to put yourself under that law, Paul says. you got to put yourself under the whole thing, and guess what? You're going to fail miserably. Why not put yourself under the new covenant that was given to you through Christ, God's faithfulness to the law? And just put your trust in, wow, Jesus did that. I'm going to put my faith in that rather than me trying to obey the covenant or or all the law. But anyway, he's reminding them of of the covenant. Verse 5, that I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. And I answered and said, so be it, Lord. So the Lord is telling him to to go out and proclaim these things to the people. And he's he's saying, so be it, Lord. Now, some of your translations say what? NIV says, amen. The New American Standard says, amen. So be it. That's what amen means. The the amen, when you hear that amen, it means so be it. Let it be so. Amen. Now, for an amen to be coming from the heart of Jeremiah is no small thing. He was given such a unique role Amongst all the prophets, you know, other prophets, you know, like Isaiah, uh, they were able to come in, and although Isaiah prophesied about 
you know, a certain judgment that would take place during his time, he was also able to prophesy that, you know, Jerusalem was going to be saved. Remember that the enemies came in and they surrounded Jerusalem and Isaiah came in and Hezekiah, the king at the time, uh, laid out his request and petition before the Lord, Lord, please, you've got to save us here. And, and Isaiah came in and said, you know, because you've prostrate yourself before the Lord, he's going to save you. And this, all these the 150,000 Assyrians that are surrounding the city, they're all going to die. Jeremiah's prophecy was, he had none of that. None, in fact, not only did he, he have to tell them, no, you're not going to be you're not going to be saved. You're going to be wiped out. All of you are going to be removed from the city. The, the city's going to be burnt down as well as the temple. Not only that, he had to tell them, and, and by the way, you just need to submit and give up. And that was actually from the Lord. You guys are supposed to give up. These wicked people from the Babylon are going to come. You just got to give up and submit to the king of Babylon. And so all the false prophets of the day who were... Of course, you know, the Bible says that when we're in season, when a nation is a season of darkness, the leaders surround themselves with religious people who will just tickle their ears. And during the time of Jeremiah, the king, Zedekiah, and others just surrounded themselves with people who tickled their ears and said, among other things, oh, no, that would be unpatriotic. Submit to the king of Babylon, no prophet has ever asked Israel, a king of Israel, to do such a thing. That is just wicked that a prophet, can Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, no, no, that is wicked. And, and yet, this is the example of Jeremiah, who's a weeping prophet, and we've already seen him weeping and his heart breaking because of some of the things that he had to tell the people and some of the visions that God gave him about how the people would be judged, the land destroyed. He would be weeping. He would be crushed. He would be crying out to the Lord, Lord, no, I, I, I can't bear the sight of the judgment on this people. Um, he still says, so be it, Lord, in, in, in his inward man. He said, so be it, oh, ha, oh Lord. And how, how important it is. And I always think of Eli, the high priest, in the book of Samuel, whose sons were, you know, they, they were like modern-day TV evangelists. I mean, they, it says that they would sleep with the women in the door of the temple. And they were the sons of the high priest. They were priests themselves. When the women came to give their offerings, and they would steal from the people, and the Lord said to Eli, look, you've got to do something about this, Eli. He didn't. He ignored it. And that's when uh, the Lord raised up Samuel, and Samuel was sleeping in the temple, and, and the Lord would be calling to Samuel. He thought it was Eli. He went to Eli and said, did you call me? No, I didn't call you. He heard his name again. He went to Eli, and he said, did you call me? No, you know, you, I didn't call you. And by this time, Eli had figured out he's too, the Lord's calling him. So he says, go, you know, go back, and, and, and the next time you hear it, you know, let's say, you know, it's the Lord speaking to you. So Samuel said, Samuel went back to bed, and same thing. He heard his name again, Samuel, Samuel, what, you know, what is it? Speak, and it was the Lord speaking, and the Lord told him, you know, Eli, your boss, Eli. It's interesting how the Lord didn't even come to Eli. He had to come to a young boy. Um, 
He says, your boss, Eli, he and all his family, they're going to be completely wiped out. And uh, the next morning, Eli called Samuel to him, and he said, what did the Lord say? And, and Samuel told him. He says, you're, you and your family are all going to be wiped out. And, and, uh, and Eli said, well, let it be done as the Lord has said. And, and for all his faults, <laughs> I really admire the way he was able to just say, you know, I've caused this. I brought it on myself. The Lord is holy. Let it be so. Same idea here. So be it, Lord. Amen. You know, when we see that word, amen, we say it like it's nothing. We say it all the time. But it is supposed to be a phrase of tremendous conviction in our heart. When we... when. When we pray with someone and, and we're agreeing with them and we say amen, the model in the Bible, it's supposed to be a phrase or a word of great conviction. Let it be so, O Lord. Amen. Then the Lord, verse 6, then the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the city of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and do them. So this time, remember before, he just hung out in the temple, the gate of the temple, and his people came in and out. And you just can imagine priests listening to Jeremiah prophesy judgment against them and how bold he had to be. And the Bible says, as we already learned in the first couple of chapters of Jeremiah, he was on his own. Lord told him when he first commissioned him to be a prophet, you are completely on your own. It's everybody against you. Wow, what an example to us. So now it's, it's um, who knows, there may have been a certain security. You hang on a pole in the temple and you just sort of put up with it. And, you know, after a while, maybe there was some security in that. Now he goes, sends him to the cities. It says in verse 6, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying. So he went from just hanging out in one place to going from city to city to city to city. Now, there were other times, like in the times of Jehoshaphat and other times, where all kinds of Levites would go out to the different cities of the land. I love Jeho Jehoshaphat. He's one of my favorite characters. He was a righteous king. Even after messing up so bad the way he did a couple times, he still, he just sent out the Levites, go to all the cities, proclaim the word of the Lord. Now it's just Jeremiah, no one else. He's going out to, from city to city all by himself. And he's saying these things. Hear the words of the covenant and do them. Verse 7, for I earnestly exhorted uh, your fathers in the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. So God had been faithful to them. If there's anything we learn from our reading of the Old Testament is that the Lord was faithful to continuously, repeatedly tell Israel the truth. It says, rising early and exhorting them. God had sent the, the, his people. He had sent his servants. He had sent the Levites, the priests, the prophets, and, and they went out early, and they told them, Obey my voice, verse, verse 8. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of his evil 
heart. What did chapter 10, verse 23 say? It says, Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. I've quoted this before. You know, we've talked a lot about devotionals recently. My favorite is a guy, C.H. Bogatsky. And I've quoted this before, but I love it. Bogatsky says in one of his devotionals, uh, he says, Fear your heart. You have more to fear from your own heart than all your other enemies. <laughs> I love that. You have more to fear from your own heart than all your other enemies. Why? The, the Bible says that our heart is desperately wicked beyond cure. So when we follow the dictates of our own heart, we're going to be in so much trouble. Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. Verse 9, and the Lord said to me, a conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants, inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquity of their fathers. So this is the Lord sort of in Jeremiah's private time with the Lord, his devotion time, his private time, just him and the Lord. And he said, Jeremiah, these people, verse 10, they have turned their back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words, and they have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will surely bring calamity on them, which they will not be able to escape. And though they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. Now, again, we saw this. Um, well, let me just continue here. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they offer incense, but they will not save them at all in the time of their trouble. You know, I have um, a relative, I'll keep it that general, who is very wealthy. And, you know, he's not a believer. He's just completely into... Uh, sort of wealth, and he's a very wealthy person. And he was given me the whole philosophy of, of his life, which is, you know, buy a house, pay off your mortgage, pay off all your debts, and save up lots of money. And, <laughs> I mean, literally, it was just all about money. I mean, from beginning to the end. And that is a believe it or not, a very prevalent idol. But it's not going to do anything for him in the day of calamity. Verse 12 says, you know, the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go out and cry out to the gods to whom they offer incense, but they will not save them. Money is not going to be able to save him in the day of his calamity. They will not save them at all. Underline the words at all, those two little very important words, at all in the time of their trouble. You know, there's nothing money can do in, in, in the day of trouble when, when you are stricken with cancer and death is a, becomes an absolute short-term certainty there's nothing, there, there's a point beyond which there's nothing money can do. Nothing. 
and, and among many other calamities. Verse 13, for according to the number of your cities were your gods, O Judah. So he's going from city to city and realizing these people, they have as many, many different gods as they have cities. And it's like Paul, when he, was in, when he was going through Athens, he was just so distraught because there were thousands of gods. There was even one uh, made to an unknown god. And that's how superstition works, right? It's like, whoa, what if I forgot, like, you know, my Ouija board or whatever? What if I forgot and, and I missed a certain thing? Well, I'll make up for that. I'll, we'll just have a... Uh, a little tomb to an unknown God. There's so many, you know, of these uh, of these gods, and that's the problem with idolatry. You know, I grew, I grew up, I moved away from Massachusetts, and I, when I was nine, and I went to um, a country, uh, Venezuela and South America, where there was tremendous idolatry, just statues of all these saints. It is idolatry. It just is. And um, the problem with that is, what if I'm missing one? You know, I have a god, a little statue, a saint for travel, and I have a saint for, you know, a financial saint, and I have a, a health saint. And but what if you miss one? You know, and it, it it is such a huge, huge problem. You know, we have one of the. Um, I was speaking to Luce. I don't know if you know Luce. It's Jasmine's mother. And, and, and she, she grew up. They have an issue with worshiping idols. And, and she started reading her Bible as a young mother. And she was like, holy cow, she's reading the Ten Commandments. And so literally she started telling her kids, you go to church, you go to Mass, but you do not worship or pray to Mary or any other, any other idol. That's so great. I've actually heard several people just in the last couple of years say the exact same thing, that within that system, that religious system, they started reading the Bible and they started become an agent of reform right there. Eventually they had to leave because it was too much for them. But, but um, that's the problem with having these little... And, and growing up in Venezuela, that's the problem. Is what, you know, what if you're missing one? What if you're missing something? And 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 uh, uh, they're just the superstition uh, there. For according to the number of your cities were your gods, O Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars to that shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. Verse 14, so do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them. Extremely unusual. You don't see this in the prophets. And you can prove me wrong on this. And please, if, if you know of another place in one of the prophets, just let me know. But, and, but three times in Jeremiah, chapter 7, here in chapter 11, and chapter 14. He says, do not even pray for this people. The judgment, he'd already proclaimed the judgment and the judgment was coming. Now, interestingly, he still goes out he still tells them to go out and, and gives them the, the opportunity to repent, uh, similar to what the Lord did with Jonah and Nineveh, but um, they never did repent. 
for I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. What has my beloved to do in my house, having done lewd deeds with many, and the holy flesh has passed from you? So, you know, from time to time, you know, we'll speak with someone who has a, a husband or a wife who is committing adultery against them, and it's just their behaviors repeated, 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 and, and finally they're like, I just can't take this anymore. I'm, I'm out of here. And the Lord honors that. He absolutely does. And because he knows what it's like. Why? You just read it in Jeremiah chapter 11. He knows exactly what it's like uh, to reach that point where he just says, I, they're going out. They're my beloved. They are my beloved, but they're going out doing lewd deed. Me, this is a sexual, uh, a, a, a sexual thing here. They're going out and they're just having, uh, they're they're giving themselves like harlots over to you know every idol uh, conceivable. And he's finally just saying, you know, he's giving them over to their idolatry. Verse 16, the Lord called your name green olive tree, lovely and good fruit. And, and so when the Lord saw Israel, he had planted them. Isaiah chapter 5, remember, he planted them in the vineyard. And there was a time where they flourished. And he looked at them and was like, wow, a green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. That's what they were at one time, but it says, with the noise of a great tumult, it has kindled fire on it, and its branches are broken. For the Lord of hosts who planted you has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in offering incense to Baal. And he's telling the people, he's reminded them, look, God planted you. He actually planted you. Your life is the, is what it is. Your life, you live today because God planted you. And the application for us, although, again, we're under a different covenant, is that Why do you persist in sin? Why, and if you're here tonight and there's some sin that you've been holding on to, some area of disobedience, the Lord planted you. The Lord gave you new birth. He gave birth to you. He planted you. Why are you holding on to your sin? God did that for you, who planted you, and look what you're doing to, to, to the one that he planted. You're, you're defiling it. For the Lord of hosts who planned you has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger and offering incense to Baal, now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it, for you showed me their doings. 
So verse 18, God opened the eyes of Jeremiah to what they were doing. And, you know, this, this is true of, this is true of us. 1 Corinthians 1, 2 speaks of the whole concept of the Lord giving us spiritual eyes and the natural man is incapable of seeing certain things and just remembering when the Lord just opened my eyes and I started looking around and seeing for the first time the God showing me what the world and what it was really doing. I just used to be a, a sports fanatic. I still like sports, but... Um, but, you know, it, it was very much of an idol to me. And, and just from one day to the next after being saved, looking at just how shallow and silly it was to be really rooting my heart and even giving my heart up to sports heroes and people like that. Just completely ridiculous. You know, just from one day to the next, what these people are are no different than you. They don't deserve. I mean, certainly you can respect them, you can honor them, and 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 really admire their gifts. But we live in a country that worships athletes, and 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 then you, the the Lord just sort of shows you the error of the world around you for the, for the first time. And, 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 and Jeremiah is going from city to city. And, and the Lord, why did, why did the Lord send Jeremiah from city to city? Well, it really gave so much more meaning to what he was prophesying. First, he was just in one place. He was just at the temple. But now he's going from city to city and going, Wow. This is really true. And it's not true just in one place. It's true in city after city after city. Verse 19, but I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter. And I did not know that they had devised schemes against me. So this is the beginning of something we'll see throughout the book of Jeremiah. Again, we don't get to see this any with any other prophet, really. But... We're going to find out in the book of Jeremiah, we're going to be able to read about th they were constantly conspiring against them to kill them. And that's, this, is, this, is where, this is the first time we're reading about, really, about something like this. And they're like, I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter. And I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit. And let us cut him. Who's him? It's Jeremiah. Let's cut him off from the land of the living that his name may be remembered no more. So here's this, you know, he was called probably to be a prophet by the Lord probably when he was 17 to 20, something like that, 16 to 20. Remember in chapter 1 he says, I'm just but a youth. You can't tell me to do this, Lord. I'm just, I'm just this little weenie. Don't ask me to do this. And he's saying, don't call yourself a youth. Don't call yourself a weenie. You're going to go out and you're going you're gonna to declare the word of the Lord. And, um, and, and, and he's like, all the, he, he's naive. And he's realizing for the first time, you know, these stuff that they, I'm saying, 
people want to kill me for it. This hadn't dawned on them. They want to kill me for saying stuff like this. Verse 20, but O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for you have revealed my cause. Now, some of you may have a different translation there. You have revealed my cause. The word there is really, one of the translations is rolled, for to you I have rolled my cause, meaning that it's really a, a very different kind of translation. It means really I've trusted in you my cause. Look, I'm trusting you now. you got to deal with this. These people are going to kill me for what you have asked me to do, for doing what you've asked me to do. And man, if you are living your faith sincerely, the Bible says you will in one way or another be persecuted. May never be for your life, you know, your life threatened. We may, you know, people say, oh yeah, time is coming soon. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But you will be persecuted in one way or another. At work, people giving you grief, your family giving you grief. You got to roll off the issue onto the Lord. Just roll. I like that word roll. Just roll it off. But you, I have rolled my cause. I like that translation. But, you know, same, you know, for you I have revealed my cause, meaning he's, he's giving it over to God. Look, you got to deal with it. These people are coming against me. Now, this is, it's interesting here, the weeping prophet, all of a sudden, you know, we've read before him talking about his wound and he can't deal with all the people who he sees and visions the Lord that has given him, that he sees them being judged, and he sees in these visions fire, cities on fire, and people dying. But all of a sudden, you know, when it comes to him and his life being threatened, he's like, Lord, get him. Now, the Lord's going to correct him for that. We'll see that in the next chapter. Because in Luke chapter 6, the spirit of the heart of God is very clear. Love your enemies. And that didn't start with Jesus. It started in Genesis chapter 1. Start at the beginning of the Bible. God's going to correct him for this. And it's okay that he's opening up, just like David in the Psalms, it's completely fine for us to open up our heart and pour out our fears and anger on the Lord. It's better to do that than, you know, repress it. But then he goes on. This is Jeremiah talking in verse 21. He says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life. I'm sorry. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Now, where's Anathoth? I will be sort of impressed if you get this right. <laughs> what's, what's Anathoth? Who's from Anathoth? Jeremiah. See, the... This physics guy, we wanted this physics guy here last week, and he wasn't here when we were talking about the relationship between lightning and rain. And then he shows up tonight, and he, get, he still gets the right answer, and we're not even talking about physics. We're talking about where Jeremiah is from. Anathoth. So it, it says, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life, saying, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. The people from his hometown want to kill him. 
Jesus said what? What's that? A proffer is honored except in his own hometown. That's kind of a paraphrase of it. It's the first place you're going to pee, you're going to get trouble, folks, in your family. First place you're going to get grief is in your family when you start, you know, living for, for the Lord. You should know better than to, you know, you're not supposed to, <laughs> family people, you know, you're, you're not supposed to rattle the chains of the family heritage. So the people of Anathoth, he's going from city to city. Oh, maybe I'll get a break in my own hometown. They want to kill him. Wow. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall be no remnant of them. For I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anathoth, even the year of their punishment. I'm not so sure he wanted to hear that about his hometown. Chapter 12, righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? So Jeremiah now is on the road. And he's starting to bum out because he's getting grief right and left. His life's, you know, he's tasting misery. And from city to city, people who are disobeying the Lord, they're prospering. They're prospering. It's always useful going back to Psalm 73. You don't have to turn there, but where Asaph says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. And then, you know, he says, I, this, this, I was just imagining all this until I walked into the sanctuary of God and understood their end. That's a lie. All that is a lie. Uh, you know, the, the wicked, basically, they fill up. I mean, they, they, if it weren't for the wicked, the, actually, these wicked are rich. If it weren't for the wicked rich, the poor psychiatry profession, you know, in the United States, actually fill up their offices you know, all week, 52 weeks a year. They're not, they're not, you know, living this life with joy. I mean, they, they, they're on anti-depression uh, medications of the highest order and they're, they're seeking some way of dealing with their lack of contentment. And Jeremiah 
get stuck in this rut where he's looking at and saying, Lord, why are the wicked prospering? Verse 2, you have planted them, yes, they have taken root and they grow and they bear fruit and you are near in their mouth but far in their mind. In other words, you are near in their mouth. They talk about you in their mouth but far from their mind. But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me. You have tested my heart toward you. Pull them out like a sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither, the beasts and the birds consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they, they said he will not see our final end. And so he's just complaining to God. He's going from city to city, and it ain't so f- fun anymore. At this season in this life, you know, sometimes the Lord calls us to a particular calling, and, and we start off, and, and uh, just hope you don't get tired of me continue to talk about some of the things we heard this last weekend. But one of the things that Keith talked about is our Christian life is a marathon, and we treat it like a sprint, and, and we get off to a sprint, and wow, this is, woo, this is really cool. But then, oh, wow, you know, after whatever, 400 yards or something, man, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this very well. And he's going from city to city, and he's like, this, this is not going well. You know, my hometown wants to kill me. I, I see the prosperity of the wicked. I, something needs to be done for them, done, rather done about them. And the Lord, he's telling the Lord, correct them, slaughter them, pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. What happened to Jeremiah was weeping for all these people. And here we see the correction in verse 5. God tells this to Jeremiah. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted, they have weird you, because there is yet peace there in the land, then how will you do in the floodplain of Jordan? The Jordan used to overflow once a year, just wipe out everything in the floodplains. How are you going to deal with that? In other words, Jeremiah... You're just getting started. I just have you, this season of ministry that you're in now, I'm just getting you ready for something much, much greater. And if you can't deal with what you have now, how on earth are you going to deal with what I have coming your way? In Joshua chapter 14, we studied this last week and how, Josh, uh, how Caleb, when he was 85 years old, went to the land of promise. He's 85 years old. He's been through a bunch of wars and stuff like that. And he's like, okay, I'll take this big expanse of land, these mountains and everything. And in the mountains, there's all these, these enemies that this 85-year-old man was going was gonna to have to battle harder and fiercer and longer than he had ever battled before. And just we learned that, you know, 
That's the attitude of a righteous man or a righteous woman who's not looking to settle down, who's not looking for an easier battle, but just recognizes the truth of the fact that God, when he gets us over one hill, there's not smaller hills after. There's bigger hills, and eventually they become mountains. And we have to imitate Jesus who said what? It says in Hebrews that because of the joy that was set before them, he endured the cross. That actually reaching the point, and I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm there, I'm not, where we're like, you know, there's joy in the battle. There's joy in the will of God. And, you know, even though the Lord, and I want God's best for my life, and I understand that God's best for my life is carving out a piece of territory where, there, where the fighting is going to be more fierce, the warfare is going to be harder, but the blessing is going to be all the more abundant. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and he will add all these things unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and he'll add all these things unto you. I've noticed that about our life, Stephanie and I. We got started off in ministry. There were small battles which we thought, oh, it can't, cannot possibly get worse than this. <laughs> no, they, they, they were small, and they got bigger and bigger. But guess what? The blessing and the reward of the Lord. Oh, man. Can I just sit back and thank the Lord? And, and you know, the Lord has been speaking to me over the last three or four, four months to pray to him, okay, what's the next big old battlefield for you, Steve? And he wants that in order to accomplish his will, but he also wants that to conform me, to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. You're not going to be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ if you, if you retire just to, you know, straddling over hills rather than fording mountains. You're, you're not. You're not going to know the blessedness. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. We just want the first part. But if we don't have the second part, we're not going to have that same intimacy, that same fellowship with the Lord, nor be conformed into his image. God says to Jeremiah, if you have run with the footmen. So you've just been walking with the footmen, man. But I want you to... I want you to be contending with the horses. And I think about the, the ancient warfare sometimes in dealing with footmen coming against you, like, cow, what, what do you call them, infantry? And, uh, you know, this is, of course, before tanks and all that stuff, but dealing with infantry how terrifying it must have been to have horses, horses, hundreds, thousands of them galloping 
towards you. Wow. Okay, you've dealt with the footmen. They've come against you. There's going to be hundreds, thousands of horses furiously galloping towards you, trying to take you out. (laughs) Okay, Lord. Boy. Verse 6, For even your brothers, the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they have called a multitude after you. Do not believe them, even though they speak smooth words to you. I have forsaken my house. I have left my heritage. I have given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. So this is really cool. Verse 7, he's reminding Jeremiah, don't, don't be talking like this. Where you say, verse 3, pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Listen, Jeremiah, he says in verse 7, these are the dearly beloved of my soul. You know, don't be talking about them as they're, you know, as as if they are a bunch of animals that I'm just going to slaughter. I hate having to bring the consequences on these people that the justice of my character uh, requires. Remember what we read a couple chapters before. They were throwing their children into the fire, which was a religious ritual of the nations around them at the time. They had adopted them, and they were sacrificing their own children to the fire. And yet God, they're still, he still calls them his, he calls them the dearly beloved of my soul. Now in Christ, we've been grafted in. The Bible says that when God cut off um, Israel and judged them, it was like a stump. And then with the non-Jews, the Gentiles were grafted into that and they've come up and The Lord looks at us the exact same way, the dearly beloved of my soul. Oh, God, help us. If we are sinning against grace and rebelling and disobeying and living a life of disobedience against the word of God. Verse 8, my heritage is to me like a lion in the forest. It cries out against me. Therefore, I have hated uh, it my heritage is to me like a speckled vulture, and I think the the thought there speckled vulture is like have you ever seen like the the runt of a litter or like a baby chick that's the smallest and it's it's pecked by all the other chicks and it's just get you know it's got um, it's just got uh, marks all over it. It's the same kind of. Thing. Same kind of idea. My heritage is to me like a speckled vulture. The vulture all around are the vultures all around are are against her. So the the speckled vulture is the one that has just been abused and mangled by everyone around her, and that's that's how what she had become. Come assemble all the beasts of the field, bring them to devour. Many rulers have destroyed my vineyard. God saw Israel as his vineyard. He sees us, same, you know, very same 
imagery for you and for me. In the New Testament, John 15, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser, vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes in it that it may uh, bear more fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So we're, we're the Lord's. We are the Lord's vineyard. We are the Lord's vineyard. Verse 11, they have made it desolate. Desolate, meaning the vineyard desolate. Desolate, it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate because no one takes it to heart. The plunders have come in on all the desolate heights in the wilderness for the sword of the Lord shall devour from one end of the land to the other. And of the land, no flesh shall have peace. So calamity is coming on the land. They have sown wheat, but reap thorns. They have put themselves to pain, but do not profit. But, he, but be ashamed of your harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, against all my evil neighbors who touch the inheritance which I have caused my people Israel to inherit, Behold, I will pluck them out of their land and pluck them out of the house of Judah, pluck out the house of Judah from among them. So here he is reminding Jeremiah, who again was like, hey, Lord, pull them out and slaughter them. He's reminding him, look, there's going to be a restoration, Jeremiah. And, and, you know, this is just the challenge of discipling. Sometimes discipling is really hard. You're discipling someone. They start getting fleshy. You have, to, you have to really bring them back to love. It's about love. It's about love. Verse 15, Then it shall be after I have plucked them out that I will return and have compassion on them and bring them back, everyone to his, uh, to his heritage and everyone to his land, and it shall be if they will learn carefully the ways of my people. Now, this is really interesting. He says, I'm going to judge those people. However, verse 16, if they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. Wow. Sort of completely out of nowhere. He says, verse 16, if the nations around Israel who are practicing all these horrible things that Israel has adopted, if they turn to me and repent and believe in me, I'm going to establish them. It's a prophecy here, a prophetic utterance by Jeremiah of what was going to happen to non-Jews. They were going to be established right in the midst of his people. Verse 17, but if they do not obey I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. So Jeremiah here being discipled by the Lord. He's being discipled by him. He is in the sort of mid to early to mid part of his, uh, his ministry. The Lord's trying to form and fashion him. Uh, always trying to, you know, a couple principles here. And one is, there's such a, 
temptation on our part to want to step into the shoes of God and think like, oh, you know, judge this person, judge this nation, judge this political party or what. And, and the Lord just is always going to bring us back. It's none of your business. Leave that to me. That's what he's saying to Jeremiah. And then, and there's also a tendency of ours just to, to get extremely distraught with the church, the body of Christ itself. And the Lord's telling him the same thing about the children of Israel. He's saying, look, I'm gonna ha- I love them. They're the dearly loved of my soul, and I'm going to have compassion on them. I'll deal with them. But there's a good end here, Jeremiah. We, we need to always let God be God and not try to take his place, not try to step in his shoes. And so, again, heavy reading. I really, uh, I really appreciate and am thankful for, for everyone who comes on Sunday night <laughs> because this is, this is meat, man. And in Hebrews, it talks about the difference between baby food and meat. And, uh, and when we eat meat, you know, that red meat, that, that protein, uh, you know, it really, it, it, it strengthens us, but it's kind of hard to take in, you know, sometimes. But uh, it, really, it, it really gives us a fuller, di- deeper picture into the, into the mind and the heart of the Lord. And also, I don't know about you, but it just makes me have just a very, very healthy, healthy fear of the Lord. Not one that makes me scared of Him, but makes me want to honor him and follow him and honor his word. And so we will uh, pick up next week in, in, in chapter 13.